Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, president of Seamless Docs Federal, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. So, Dan, here we are in the thick of the presidential transition and consistent with the objective of our podcast. Let's talk about a topic that nobody else is talking about. We'll do our best, yeah. And one that I think is, uh, again, with our objective and aspiration, really super relevant to the government and government workers in particular. Procurement regulations? Exactly. The FAR. The FAR. Let's Let's do that. I've got page one right here. (laughs) A half hour on the FAR. We really should, though. We really need to. At some point. Yeah. At some point. A a little teaser for our audience. Exactly right. Exactly. They'll they'll come back. They'll look for it. Exactly. Now, I was going to talk about the fact that um, a lot of people that I'm talking to in government have a very high degree of stress and nervousness. um, And I think it's at a higher level than, than I can recall feeling when I went through previous transitions. Um, and I wanted to just kind of sit back and talk about that with you a little sure. bit, uh, because you know, wanted to break it down a little bit and figure out like what's what's going on and how do we help uh, people that are civil servants right now with a new administration coming in. It's been eight years since they've seen some. A lot of people in government haven't had anyone else be their leader, but the current administration. But after eight years, I think people just get worried about what's to come. Well, I also think that um, the president-elect had a um, had two kind of subtext within uh, his agenda related to what federal civil servants are going to see. One was the very, very strong kind of anti-government uh, rhetoric, Washington's broken, drain the swamp. These are all things that, you know, for people who have committed their lives to public service, um, while they may not you know, debate the higher level, you know, understanding of what, what, what you're getting at with those phrases. Um, I think it's unnerving to people to you know, think that, you know, maybe they're going to be led by someone who really doesn't respect their work or, or think highly of them. And the other side, the other part was this whole litany of proposals for what the government could do better from building a wall to, um, uh, you know, increasing tariffs to uh, enhancing the defense posture and all of those things are going to take civil servants and so that, that's a it's a it's a complicated message for someone to process yeah and I th- I think you know I think what I'd like to do in this discussion is is reflect a little bit on on the experiences that we've had um, I'd like to talk a little bit personally about the experience I had because I remember being nervous in, in the transitions I was involved in, and it was, and it has nothing to do with politics. It had to do with, with change, um, you know, with the uncertainty of the new people coming in. What are they going to ask us to do? Um, and what I want, really wanted to touch on was the role of the civil servant, because I actually feel that this is the exciting moment. Like this is what you signed up for when you are a civil servant, which is this moment where things are going to shift underneath your feet in terms of the direction your agency is going. Um, 
and, and above your head, the politics are moving in very different directions, yet you have to keep moving forward um, and serve the institution and serve the mission um, and, and continue on your path as a career civil servant. And, and this is where, like, when, when it gets a little rocky, when the waves get a little rougher, I, in some ways I feel like this is that moment where you can rise to that underlying mission that you have as a career civil servant, which is so inherently important that you do have that continuity of those workers through administration changes. Well, and I, and I think that that's the whole point behind the civil service, frankly, to begin with. I mean, I think a, a lot of people forget the history of the civil service and that it's a, a reasonably new um, creation that uh, actually transitions were much more dramatic in the pre-civil service era because everyone, in essence, was a political appointee. And, and really... Uh, you know, a lot of people don't understand why the Office of Personnel Management's building is the Teddy Roosevelt building. They, they think it's some mistake or some fluke <laughs> or, you know, did OPM move in there? Um, but Teddy Roosevelt, old Rough Rider, actually was one of the preeminent leaders of a movement to create a non-political workforce, a workforce that was professional and technical that could speak truth to power, would be protected by civil service protection, which isn't just the ability to take Columbus Day off. It's an actual, uh, it's, a, it's, it's an expectation that there will be a high bar for dismissal because these people will then use that uh, security to honorably discharge and work hard to deliver the best possible outcomes for the executive and, and the country, regardless of who that executive is. Right. I, I have this memory. I think my first day of government service back in the 1990s, um, and I remember this moment, I was in orientation at the Office of Management and Budget, and the former late great general counsel, Bob Damis, right. was doing his famous orientation speech, which, which had become famous. And I, don't, I, I remember being entertained during his presentation. But the only thing I can remember him saying that I carry with me is he made a distinction. And he, he, and he said in, in his opinion or his position that you, we don't work for the president. We work for the institution of the presidency. Exactly. And, I, and, and that really kind of stuck with me because it's, it's, it's kind of a north star for how you think about how you're, you're moving forward. And, and I, I can remember, you know, moments. Um, so I was at the Justice Department when, uh, when we went from Clinton to Bush. So I went from Janet Reno to John Ashcroft. Um, and I remember a, a mixed sense. Of, there was a lot of uncertainty. And then that happened later. It was in December. That the right. term, and, and what I was doing in the Justice Department was litigating civil rights cases. So I was suing entities for civil rights violation. And, you know, there was all kinds of rumor and speculation that, 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 that John Ashcroft and the Bush administration were going to come in and we were going to have to reverse all of our cases. And, sounds, sounds familiar. And, and drop the suit. And, and none of that happened. Like, in fact, our defendants, I remember them expressing disappointment. Like once we got a few weeks into the Bush administration, you mean, you mean you're not dropping your cases against us? And we're like, no, <laughs> no, we're, we're moving forward. Because as it turned out, the people that the Bush administration put in place which, by the way, were, were fantastic throughout. I loved the people that, that, that President Bush brought in. People he brought in at the Justice Department, he put in an, an, uh, an assistant attorney general for civil rights. And guess what that individual wanted to do? Enforce civil rights. Mm. Um, and so there was, there was this sense, and, and, and maybe it was naive on my part, 
but there was this sense that the change in administration was going to change everything, and well, it really didn't. But I, I'd say that that might be one version of the story. Another version was my experience in the changeover from Bush 1 to Clinton. I was at OMB at the time working, um, uh, working in uh, the transportation resources branch, and I will say that was pretty dramatic. Right? Okay, so talk the, to us about So that. the Bush administration, and this was uh, back when there was still this kind of regular order in the appropriations process. So there was this deep commitment to meeting those deadlines of submitting a budget because there was this expectation that the Congress would actually, you know, engage in a deep discussion with uh, uh, around those budgets. So the Bush administration had done a budget um, and actually had done a version with the expectation that the president was going to win re-election. And they had to shift gears and present a new budget based on more of a baseline budget, which was now that the president hadn't won re-election. And then the Clinton administration came in and had to, while they didn't redo the budget entirely, we immediately set to work on a set of budget amendments that reflected the priorities of the Clinton administration in you know in meeting the promises that they had set you know during the campaign which was a uh, you know the you know another one of the we got to change everything in Washington campaigns yeah and so i think that and i think both experiences are are likely uh, to happen to to civil servants coming up in the next few months some civil servants are going to look around and say this doesn't feel that much different uh, the the questions my political my policy officials are asking, the things they're talking about, the strategic directions are are different, but more subtly different than what I've experienced in the past. And then other civil servants are going to face really dramatic shifts and dramatic changes. But but my kind of pep talk thought is, is that if you are concerned about those dramatic shifts and dramatic changes, like. That's that's the the kind of the solemn responsibility that you have as a civil sure. servant. It, it, it kind of what you say it came with the operating manual. What's it was, your, it's in the it's in the brochure. It's in the brochure. It's in the exactly brochure. Right. Exactly right. Now, obviously, there's you know, and and this this goes through. You know, I'm I'm sure going back administrations, there are people that you can find in each transition a civil servant who is just completely distraught. Like the day it was, you know, the day the Supreme Court made the decision that. Bush was coming in instead of Gore. I'm sure there were civil servants that were distraught. And when uh, Obama beat McCain in 2008, I'm sure there were civil servants who, who were who were distraught about it. Um, and and there may be and, I, and and if there's something about the direction administration is taking that crosses some type of red line for you, then obviously you you have to think differently. I mean, everybody sets a line. But, but my, I think all the more reason for there to be people in the civil service who are paying attention to those red lines, who care about those red lines, and are therefore using the civil service protection that they've kind of uh, uh, assumed as part of their as part of their job description to stand up and, and raise concerns. Absolutely. If they see something that it's it's really they take an oath of office when they come into the office to protect and defend the Constitution and its provision that federal employees serve to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty. And that may seem like a robotic kind of thing you do 
on the first day of work, but it actually it has meaning. It, it has significance, and yeah. and I actually think it's really important that the 2.7 million people who took that oath recognize that responsibility and discharge it in their work every day. And, and I feel that if and this this might be a, a controversial uh, position. I'm not sure, but I feel like if your center of gravity is advocacy, if you really are coming at it from the vantage point of, of if you have a particular policy outcome that your heart is set on, and that's why you came to government to see it through, then you might not be the perfect fit as a, as a civil servant versus one that comes in and is really interested in the debate around public policy, and then once it's decided, figuring out the best way to affect it. In fact, when, when, when I was early in my career at OMB, I think part of the culture at OMB at that time, when we were interviewing people and, 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 and looking at resumes and deciding like who's going to be a good cultural fit at OMB, if someone had a long history of advocacy in, in their resume, it was a red flag for us because we were concerned that could you pivot in a different direction uh, that may be against the co your, your personal belief in where the policy should land. Because ultimately, as a civil servant, I think your job is to give credence to both sides of a particular policy issue, help whoever's in charge at that moment, weigh the pros and cons of each side, and then once that decision is made, whether you like the decision or not, then going forward and carrying it out in the most effective way with the most possible integrity and protecting taxpayer dollars and, and all of that along the way. And so, so if you have a red line, then, then that's, I, I'm, obviously that's okay, and you, and you have to make that, that judgment call. I hope, because I'm a believer that the government needs all, a lot, you know, all the people, not all, but you know, a, a lot of the, the people that are, that are here right now um, doing such, such a fantastic job in so many facets and not getting enough credit for it, I hope that they're ready to take on that, that solemn oath that you just described. And even if the direction that the administration is taking, as long as it's you know compliant with all relevant laws, regulations, the Constitution, whatever, we're and, all within and, those bounds. And that's really, that's really the responsibility of the civil servant is to help uh, make people aware where those where those guardrails are, and and then if those guardrails are moved by Congress or by the administration through executive order, or policy, or regulation, to um, you know move them as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's this great, great quote from uh, that I'm going to totally botch um, from the first ever director of OMB back in the 20s. Uh, I think his name was Charles Dawes. He was also uh, Coolidge's vice president. And he was he was famous for sending out a memo to OMB employees telling them how long they were supposed to use a pencil for. Is that true? And yeah, what the what the how they how far they're supposed to use it before they threw it away. Okay. He, he really hated people throwing away half-used pencils. That's funny. I, well, well, his quote, which I'm going to botch, so I'll paraphrase it a bit, was something along the lines of, you know, if Congress, in their wisdom, uh, decided to pass a law that uh, trash and horse manure should be spread all over the White House lawn, then the job of the people at the Bureau of the Budget or at OMB is to make sure that that horse manure and that trash gets spread as effectively <laughs> and as efficiently as possible. You know, so, so, so that's like kind of that, that core responsibility 
And again, my sense is, is that this is when, when there's an administration change, and this is, you know, to put it out there, somewhat of an unusual change because it's not, it's, it's, it's a change in a big way because it's been eight years, right? It's a change in a big way because it's a different party. But there's additional levels of change here because this is a, a non-traditional candidate. This is not a governor or a senator coming in. This is someone that's never held elected office or had a .gov email address ever before, right? And so, so that raises the level of uncertainty around what is what is this new world going to be like? And as you said, you know, there's promises in this uh, campaign around draining the swamp, fixing government. Although comment about that. I, I think it's my reflection that other administrations have had that same... Oh, every, everyone's yeah, had yeah. a version of yeah. it. Everyone's had a version of it. Yeah, I think government employees have had, uh, you know, a tough road in the last eight years, you know, with eight? sequester yeah, and I hiring would, I, freezes. I would say it goes back 20 or 30 years around a rhetoric, a, a really powerful... Um, uh, set of kind of rhetorical statements about government being broken and Washington being broken. It's this very powerful rhetorical tool that is not really met with any meaningful agreement about how one actually fixes it, frankly. It's, it's easier to kind of criticize than it is to actually do the work of, of, of creating more effective government. And to some extent, that's kind of what we want to talk about on this pod. There's, there's a favorite moment I have um, and have had in my career when I was in government, like the, like this this moment of of warmth uh, that 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 I get and, and maybe get a little uh, 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 emotional too, and it's the moment when an incoming pers- policy official, political appointee who hasn't been in government before, maybe been in the private sector, they they begin to recognize and internalize that the people that are supporting them, these civil servants, are really great, right? These are dedicated people, they're talented, they work really hard. The, the vision that they might have had that at five o'clock on a Wednesday you can shoot an arrow down the hall and not hit anyone, that's completely false. These per- people work as hard as anybody else. And in particular, that, that feeling that I have of, of pride um, is even more pronounced in an administration change, and I felt it in particular during the Bush administration, because I think after eight years of Clinton, I think the Bush administration folks came in and they thought, well, all these civil servants, I mean, they've, they've been indoctrinated in some way into that party, that direction, and we are bringing a whole new platform and a whole new approach to government. Um, and I think they were worried on their side in terms of, you know, what are, are these folks going to be loyal to us? And very quickly, and I think in part because the people that President Bush brought in were, were, were so receptive and, um, and, and professional and thoughtful about the whole process, but very quickly I saw them internalize, wait a minute, these people shifted very quickly to, uh, to helping us, um, and, and they are, they are great. Uh, right. And and that uh, that moment is is one that uh, I expect to happen again. And I'm a little jealous right now that I'm not in there experiencing it. Although it, it is it is, I'll be honest. I spent my first half of my career as a civil servant. And my second half of a career as, as some kind of political appointee. 
it's a little insulting to the civil servants I that know. people yeah. show up and say, oh, wow, you actually can finish sentences and you <laughs> and you do work eight hours plus and you... So um, it, it sadly is reflective of this very, very, very negative rhetoric that's been used for, you know, political purposes, as you point out, on both sides of the aisle, but actually has done an awful lot to undermine the support and enthusiasm for these fundamental uh, institutions of service delivery in our, in our democracy. And I think that um, I think it's a, it's a troubling it's, a, it, it's representative of a bigger troubling issue that maybe by talking through what the complexities of operating this giant thing, we can maybe make a little, we make a make a little bit of a notch in the other direction. Yeah, and I think one of the things to to kind of add some uh, you know, some perspective um, is, and I think this is something that that the, to the extent uh, President-elect Trump brings in folks that haven't served in government before, which is great, by the way, to bring in new new perspectives. Uh, but I think you also want a blend of people that have, so they understand how the, how the trains work. Um, what you learn, and I think what, and what's not portrayed through the media or, or understood, I think, all that much on the national consciousness, is a lot of what the government does is blocking and tackling that's completely non-political, like air traffic controllers keeping the sky safe, like food safety inspectors, you know, making sure that the food that we eat in the restaurants we go to, that our kids aren't going to get sick when they eat the tuna fish well, or whatever. There's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of politics, but to your point, it's on the margins. And and really, I actually think that the issue of politicizing certain aspects of the operations it could be very very damaging to the idea of improving them. So when we get back, I'd like to talk briefly about uh, about that issue and technology as an example and then dive into this issue about advocacy that you brought up and and the question of the difference between advocacy and passion. Okay, great. Gov actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. And Seamless Docs, the fastest, easiest way to move all your administrative data collection processes to the cloud. Seamless Docs helps make government beautiful. Okay, so we're, so we're back, and, and I, uh, I left us midpoint there with a couple of things. One was this issue about uh, the politicization of operations, the potential for politicizing it. And in our earlier podcast, we talked about how politicians in general don't like operations very much. Right. Uh, the, the last thing, I, I, I fear that people begin to, to politicize certain, ver- certain aspects of it. So food safety, politicizing food safety, to your point, it's, it should be apolitical. It's either safe or it isn't. Right. Well, well, the issues at at their core are: is it being done effectively? Um, are we balancing, you know, the uh, the costs and benefits of different activities we undertake to protect uh, the nation's food supply? Um, I guess I guess you could find a some sliver of politics on regulatory burden and, and overregulation of small businesses uh, as an issue in there somewhere, but for the most part. I think that the vast majority of government operations are, are apolitical at their core. And, and, the, and not that they don't need to be managed 
and not that there shouldn't be robust discussion around how to do things better, and not that these things sometimes get broken and need to be fixed, but, but the notion that there would be swing, major swings and how the government carries out its business from one candidate to another is, I think, is not a logical conclusion, in my opinion. And I think, I think that's right. I mean, a great example of where that should be the case, and I'm afraid it, it, it could flip on us, is the issue of um, innovative technology and government. And two days after the election, because I'd heard from, uh, from people who had joined 18F or USDS that they were thinking of, of just handing in their resignation and leaving, which was shocking to me because for the month or two beforehand, there was an awful lot of agonizing about whether uh, the next administration would keep 18F and USDS. So here was an example of the very people who were worried about the struggle to maintain these new innovative uh, service delivery mechanisms essentially yielding that outcome by basically walking away from the field. And so I, I was very worried that, A, they would, by walking away from the field, destroy the progress that had been made, and B, by walking away from the field, make some statement that innovative technology was something that Democrats did, not Republicans did. Which is insane. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah, in yeah. incredibly insane. But that that would be the concern, that, that you take something as as clearly nonpartisan as using the latest and greatest technology to make government more efficient and effective and somehow turn it into a political wedge issue. Yeah, I, I, I don't see that happening. Um, and in large measure because I think the, rea again, how does government actually work? What are its realities? The reality is that there's going to be a head of GSA, a deputy administrator of GSA, there's going to be potentially new chief information officers if those are appointees, new chief financial officers. They're all going to have their own strategic aspirations. And there's not a, a lot of different options out there for how to improve the engine of government. Right. It is about innovation. It's about modernization. It's about streamlining. It's about getting more bang for the buck. It's not, there, there aren't these massive polars or ends of a spectrum in how you approach improving the operations of government. It's always going to funnel back down to the very same things that, that go on across administrations, which is getting more modern and getting more cost effective. So Jack Valenti, um, Lyndon Johnson's uh, famous communications director, once said that the three most important words in the English language are wait a minute. And in, right. in, my, in, my, in my Medium post, uh, where I write to the 18F and USDS uh, employees you know, around the question, should they stay or should they go? I suggest that they heed that advice and and see who the appointees are, see who these people who are coming in are, see see what the the motions of the administration are going to be. I I actually think if there really is a commitment for government to be more businesslike, for government to be more efficient and effective, to have this long list of priorities of things that they want to do to make uh, service delivery better and at the same time dramatically reduce the cost of government, there's really only one thing that helps you bridge that gap, and, and that's dramatically enhanced technology. So I think that in many cases, people should uh, 
calm down a little bit, wait a minute, see what happens, recognize that a lot of this is politics, a lot of this is personalities, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to operations and successful implementation. Yeah, things things will start to settle in as these uh, political appointments spread out, and that's going to take time. Um, and then if you're somewhere in government, you will start to understand and learn as a civil servant, like, what are this new leadership's priorities? And you may... You're going to find yourself, I think, in in one of three potential situations. One is it's different but relatively similar to what you were doing before. I'm, you know, trying to make government work better. We're trying to save money. We're trying to modernize. We're trying to eliminate backlogs and improve our customer service and all these things. Like, oh, this it's a little different, but but the North Star is the same, right? Um, the second category is it's very different. It's, it's, it's grinding from fifth gear into reverse or from reverse into fifth gear, depending on your perspective. Um, and if that's the situation, then, it's a, then, then you have to look inside and say, is this one of those moments of, of, as a civil servant that, that, again, that's in the brochure, that I knew when I signed on that I was going to have the potential to work for different administrations and there could be uh, dramatic swings and, and do I want to step up to the plate and, and, and be that person that just provides the best possible analysis, provides the best possible input, helps those leaders make decisions, and then whatever decisions are ultimately made then helps make sure that they get done effectively. And am I going to rise to that and be able to absorb the bump in the road of that shift? Uh, you may end up finding that the shift is, is a better approach. I don't know. But that's the second category. And I think the third category is, and, I, and my prediction is this will be rare, but I, and I think it happens in every administration, um, but around this time, especially in this environment, it feels like it might happen. It's like something happens that's like, no, no, there's no North Star here. This, this, is, this is not, you know, I, I, I search deep and I don't think this is the right thing for the country. Um, and my, your point, wait a minute, like, it, that hasn't happened, right? And and if it does, I think that's a bridge to cross when you get there. But my kind of reminder for people in in the government right now is, I think that concern about that third category happens in every administration switch. Yeah, and and I, I think that throughout history, there've been great examples of public servants, Peter Edelman. Um, uh, Elliot Richardson, um, even Director Comey is famous for the fact that they stood up to power and said, no, this is wrong. Yeah, well, we have so many checks and balances right. in the system that I, I find it hard. And again, this is like what really goes on in government. There are so many uh, lawyers and, re and internal regulations and oversight entities like inspectors general and the government accountability office and the oversight committees on the Hill. And... And the notion that that the government could move forward in something that lacked that North Star, that wasn't operating in the best interests of 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 the American people within the bounds of, of good a good public policy debate, to me is highly unusual and unlikely. Um, and that's why I love your point about wait a minute. Uh, I, I my prediction may be way off, but I predict that, that 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 does not happen. That instead we find ourselves in those first two categories only, and therefore it is somewhat of a typical transition 
Maybe there's a little bit more in the second category because, as I said, this is a, an, in, an individual coming into the presidency who's never had a .gov email address before. And so, yeah, but there, there, yeah. There, are, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of .govies now being appointed. To yeah, positions. exactly, I mean, exactly. I mean, there are a lot of people who, um, who, who have spent you know, ample amount of time working within, within the confines of the organization, both congressional and executive that uh, they, they kind of know how this stuff works. And, and I want to make that point again about the, the fact that, you know, it doesn't, and, and civil servants know this, but I'll say it anyway, you know, when, when President Obama took the oath in, two, in January 20th, 2009, it wasn't like the next day, and I was a civil servant at that moment, it was like I got called in before President Obama with all these, you know, throw everything out you did in the, in the Bush administration, we're going a completely different direction. Instead, what happens is eventually the, the political appointees funnel down and you get a boss, right. right? And your boss has domain over your specific area. And in that domain over that specific area, that boss is going to want to do interesting things. To, and, and in some cases, as and, we said and, before— And very few of those bosses have— ever actually spoken to the president exactly have ever actually been given any kind of marching orders of what kind of policy it is that they're supposed to implement yes and i think an elephant in the room i think there are some examples where the shift will be dramatic Mm -hmm. i will as an example potentially the affordable care act again i'm not i don't know i can't predict the future i don't know how dramatic the change and how long it's going to take to restructure and change the Affordable Care Act that's been set up. So I think the people that are operating in HHS might end up in a situation where their boss is really driving some major fundamental shifts. But again, my my pep talk for those folks is, you know, go back to the oath that Dan uh, read earlier, and uh, this is in the brochure. Um, and 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 my sense is is that the people that that end up being within HHS as policy officials. And you might disagree with some of their approaches, but their objective and their mission and what they'll go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning is how do we improve public health? <laughs> how do we improve healthcare outcomes for Americans? That's what they'll be worried about. And they, they, they will have disagreements in terms of how to get there versus what the pre- previous administration. But I think the true north will be something you can get behind, which yeah. is how do you improve public health and health healthcare? Outcomes. I think very few of them will be caricature versions of Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec, who's there to destroy government. Right? He yeah. said, "My mission is to make this department ineffective because I don't believe in government." I, I just don't think that any of those people uh, actually would agree to serve in a role in which they're going to be stewed in government all day long. If that's yeah. how they felt. I know. And again, if, if, if you're if I could be wrong, I don't have a crystal ball. My prediction that that won't happen and your prediction that won't happen, we could be wrong about that. But your point about, wait a minute. It, let's, it, it will happen in very, very rare instances. How about that? I, I think so. I think so. And, and, and again, I, I'm, ex- I, I'm open to be surprised. But uh, <laughs> the your, you made a very interesting point about advocacy. Yeah, I wanted to ask and, you about that. And I want to I actually – I want to – suggests that you're right, the way you described advocacy, if you have a immutable view of a policy position, being a civil servant would probably be a horrible place to be, right? Because the fact is that you signed up to work in an organization that may have shifting political wins. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have passion for the, uh, for the 
mission of the agency, and those are the best employees. Yes. So, so in my example, I think it's great. You can be a, a very successful and thriving civil servant if your advocacy is about better healthcare outcomes, better, you know, improving public health safety, other things. You could be an advocate for, as you said, you said it perfectly, the mission of the organization. But if you're an advocate for a particular critical path to get to that mission, and you've been fighting for that your whole life, and you you find it hard to to think about a world in which the way in which you want to get to that North Star, um, if it's not the way you've been fighting for, then then you need to think twice about about being a so you can be a political appointee because you can sign on with an administration that agrees with you and fight for that critical path. But if you're going to be a civil servant who's going to work in swings from Reagan to Bush to Clinton to Bush to Obama to Trump, then you need to be prepared that 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 critical path is going to change, but the mission won't change. And I, and I really think it's part of the responsibility of the civil service to continually remind those people who are leading the agency what the mission of the agency is, because the mission of the agency is not simply uh, created by a new administration when they walk in. An agency is created under authorizing legislation passed by the Congress and signed by the president, approved by the president under constitutional authority. So that then comes back to this this pledge to protect and defend the Constitution. You know, it, it fundamentally comes back to our core document. Your job as a civil servant is not to protect a particular means of delivering the ends, but it is to protect and guard the ends itself. And I think maybe um, going back to like, why is this transition maybe a little bit more stressful? I also think the world is changing from kind of like how we consume information and the news has changed and Twitter and all this stuff that's out there that tends to flood the zone with what I think are kind of very dramatic proclamations of doom and gloom um, and and on the on, on both sides like you know you you know suddenly Twitter can say President Obama is the worst president in the history you know and someone writes that and it's it's, it's ridiculous um, but it's out there and it gets attention. Um, and then the same thing on, on the other side, like gloom and doom about, you know, the fact that we have a, a Republican president, House and Senate. And so someone will be tweeting about that and, and the doom and gloom on that side. And that seems to kind of flood the dialogue these days versus a center in terms of, you know, at the end of the day, as I said, like people can be um, we can live in a charged atmosphere of polarized politics and that's just the reality and 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 look I'm a, I'm a consumer of it we talked about we both we both listened to keeping it 1600 I'm an I'm an avid reader of of the hill and politico and all these things and so I I absorb it and I and I get um, I get a lot of intellectual stimulation and other, and, and 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 entertainment out of it actually and and, and intellectual curiosity but it doesn't really change the day-to-day reality that government workers are going to be coming to. And, you know, all of that stuff, all of that, all of that high-charged rhetoric that's in the atmosphere, on January 21st, people are going to show up to work and the train schedules are going to be unchanged and they're just going to have to be managed, going back to keeping our skies safe, keeping our food safe, um, all the various things that, that we do in the government that touch people's lives every day are going to largely be unchanged. Well, and, and I think it actually, I, it, I, I came to realize over time that the bad news 
about these giant programs is that they work under the last best instruction. But to some extent, the good news is they work under the last best instruction. And so that the operation of government is going to continue in a direction. It's going to continue. I've seen evidence of decision-making slowing down, but it's going to wait for the next best instruction. So what's your advice to, uh, what's your, your, your final takeaway advice to all those people who are who are, who are thinking, should I stay? Should I go? What does this mean? You know, who are worried? What, what do you tell them? Well, I think we've already talked about it. I like that patience, you know, w- f- see what happens once your more immediate boss and boss's boss is put in place and what type of strategic tra- trajectory you set, set, they set for your organization. My bet is that the, the, you'll look at that North Star and say, yep, it's, it's a North Star that's consistent with the agency mission. And in some cases, the critical path will feel similar, in some cases different, but, but wait and, and see how it plays out. And my other big piece of advice is like, get excited about this part of the portfolio of being a civil servant. Like there's a lot of different roles that you play as a civil servant, a lot of different moments, a lot of different positions on the field that you're asked to play. And, 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 and sometimes you're put into a position on the field that is atypical, that you're not used to, that's, a, that's, a, that's different, that causes different parts of your brain to tingle um, and, and might inspire different emotions that you have. But that's part of the, the deal. And I would, I would try to get excited about it. This is a challenge that I'm going to rise to because what I, would, what I encourage you to prove the point to yet another incoming political party that's different than the previous one is that surprise them again. Surprise them that, hey, these civil servants are dedicated. They're talented. They're not loyal to one party or the other. They're loyal to their institutions and to the mission. And therefore, as long as we set a North Star that's consistent with that agency mission, they're going to rise to the challenge. They're going to work as hard as anyone I've ever worked with before. Get to that moment and because not just for, for yourself and your current colleagues, but for future generations of civil servants, it is so critical that we get to that moment every time there's a new administration. And this administration should be no different. We need to get to that moment. No, I agree. And, and I actually, I like the point you raised earlier. And I'd like to um, suggest to all the, all the new people coming in for the new administration, spare yourself uh, the the six-month discovery and just take our word for it. There are amazing, <laughs> smart, talented people working in the in the federal government. Yeah. And what you should do is come in with a level of respect and appreciation and admiration for their dedicated uh, public service. And, and, you know, the first job of any leader in any organization is to build the team. And the easiest way to build a team is to re-recruit the amazing team that you have. And, uh, you know, I said this for the technology people. I, I really think it's very important for the incoming administration to say to those technology people, look, we've got a really ambitious agenda, and you would be incredibly helpful in us realizing it. And I think that that extends beyond the technology people to everyone across the entire organization, that if we really are going to, you know, go off and do this ambitious agenda, that it's going to take really hardworking, dedicated, and committed people to do it, and and you know they've got them, they've got them, they've got millions of them. Yeah, and again, going on the civil from the civil servants' perspective, this moment in time, right now, in the heart of a transition, this is this is the test, right? This is the Super Bowl. This is you know this is the some it's of like the, the Super Bowl and the World Series and the World Cup all wrapped. Yeah, into this one. is this is the test of of the civil servant and. Um, 
and it, and it happens sometimes every four years, sometimes every eight years. Um, and, it, and, and, and I want to remind people that it's stressful every single time. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, I can recall being stressed on both sides of the equation. I was stressed working for a Democratic administration when a Republican was coming in. I was stressed working for a Republican administration when a Democrat was coming in. Um, but I really, really got personal satisfaction and enrichment out of watching myself and the people around me rise to that uh, to the level of that pledge that we made uh, when we became civil servants. So, Danny, I appreciate the uh, therapy session at the end there. Uh, Very important. Well, I think a lot of people needed to hear it. I wanted this uh, this podcast to be a, a pep talk, and uh, and maybe it was. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get the feedback. Great. Thanks a lot, Danny. Thank you.